Last week, brothers and sisters in the gospel, we heard uh, the Beatitudes. We talked about how Jesus invites us to a new perspective on life, right? To see the world as it really is. Seeing through the lens of the Beatitudes, Jesus has given us his own perspective on the world. That which allows us to see things as they really are. And in that way, we uh, learn the goal. Jesus, the Master, teaches us the goal of our life. We learned the goal of Jesus' teaching in the entire Sermon on the Mount that we're going through over the next uh, four weeks, or over the next three weeks now, uh, is happiness. Is actually the joy for which we were made. That word beatitude, it simply means happiness in the highest degree. And that that happiness, that flourishing, that fulfillment that every heart in this room is made for and every heart in the world of a human being is made for is found in being with Him and being like Him. Choosing to follow Him intentionally. Father Brian and I in our homilies last week uh, challenged y'all to read, challenged all of us, to read that entire Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapters 5 through 7. And I just want to renew that challenge today uh, to maybe say, okay, this week I'm going to do that if I haven't done it. Or even if I did it last week, I'm going to do it again. To sit at Jesus' feet, to sit at the Master's feet and to ponder on His words because they're sweeter than honey and they give life. Jesus is a teacher. But he's a teacher like, unlike any other teacher. You know, great teachers point to the truth. They help their students to see the truth by gaining perspective like we talked about last week. And Jesus does this, but he goes beyond it. He's a master teacher, but he goes beyond just being a teacher. He says, I am the truth. That is, I'm the one in which reality and perspective meet. And so when I say something, when Jesus says something, He's meeting the desire of our very hearts. Whenever Jesus is teaching, He's pointing to Himself as the answer to the longing question which exists in every human heart. And today, as we continue through the Sermon on the Mount, we come to this, uh, these two statements that Jesus says to us. He says, you are salt and you are light. First, Jesus tells us that we're the salt of the earth. What does that mean? What does he mean when he says that? In his time, uh, the time that Jesus was speaking, right? Jesus is outside of time, so he doesn't really have a time. Uh, salt was a really valuable commodity. It was something that added, uh, that you can actually hear it in the word salary. That word comes from salarium, which is what was given each day, the daily wage of a soldier. It was given in, to buy salt. It was that valuable. So uh, it's really interesting that it's come all the way down in, in English that way. But uh, etymology aside, salt is valuable. And it has a lot of different uses. And so when we think about Jesus saying, you are the salt of the earth, to us, his disciples, 
What does that mean? Well, first, salt brings out flavor. Right? You think about uh, adding, uh, adding salt to food. It brings out the flavor that exists in the food. Uh, when my grandma used to make bread, uh, she sometimes would forget the salt, right? Sorry, grandma, I have to say that. She would sometimes forget the salt, and, uh, and we realized that, and so you put a little extra salt on the butter, right? So you got the right, uh, that's a trick, by the way. If you want to, if you forget the salt, you can just put the salt on the butter and it'll be good. We're to highlight, as Christians, the best parts of the world, And in so doing, point people to the true meaning of creation. We heighten the flavor of creation as Christians. Even more importantly than flavoring, in a time before any type of refrigeration, salt was the primary way of keeping things from spoiling. You think about salting down a piece of meat. Um, and then letting it dry out. Even today, we use salt to preserve things, right? Think of a good piece of jerky. Um, So also, we're to be men and women who preserve and protect what is good, true, and beautiful in the world. That's a call as Christians. That leads also to the fact that salt uh, was used... um, to painfully cleanse wounds in the time of Jesus because it would reduce the chance of infection, right? That same antiseptic effect which makes it so good for preserving things also makes it good for cleansing wounds. And that same antiseptic effect that makes it so good for cleansing wounds and preserving things also meant that it was used to destroy things. The Romans, uh, the mortal enemy of the Romans were the Carthaginians, right? And when uh, they went and destroyed Carthage, they literally salted the earth so that nothing could grow there. Nothing could grow in that place. Now, why do I bring that up? What kind of destruction are you and I called to do? Well, we're called to fight against evil, brothers and sisters. Wherever there are growing the, the tentacles of evil in the world, we as Christians, as the salt of the earth, cannot sit idly by while evil occurs in our midst. Rather, we have to oppose it with all of our strength. And kind of thinking back through uh, the past century, and through the other centuries as well, but even in our own lifetimes, we can see where perhaps we as Christians have failed to speak up on matters that really matter, especially in matters pertaining to intrinsic evils, things like abortion and marriage. We cannot allow ourselves to go along to get along, right? While prudence has to guide our actions, it cannot be used as a cover-up for a lack of courage. We cannot hide our faith in Jesus. And for it to be actual, we must acknowledge him before all. This is what Jesus means when he says, we're the salt of the earth. Jesus next tells us that we're the light of the world. 
You think about what that means. It means we're to be his instruments in pointing others to see him. What does light do, brothers and sisters? Well, light, uh, without light, things still exist, but they're difficult to know. Imagine if we turned all the lights off in this church, put out all the candles, and then someone needed to go to the bathroom. Right? It might be a little bit difficult. You would, you'd probably trip over a few people on your way. There's this reality that the things still exist without the light, but with the light you're able to understand them and to see them and to come to comprehend them. We can understand the world to some extent without the light, but having light opens to us the possibility of seeing and in this of knowing. So how can we possibly be the light of the world? Only because the light that shines in the darkness has enlightened our hearts. Remember, friends, on the day of our baptisms, we received the light of Christ. Last week, I got the opportunity to baptize um, a friend of mine's uh, son, and his name is Garrick, and I said, Garrick, receive the light of Christ. This light is entrusted to you, godparents and parents, to be kept burning brightly so that when the Lord comes, he might go out to meet him, right, with all of, all of the, the, the just. And so, friends, we are the light of the world because Christ has enlightened our hearts. Christ comes to be our light. He shines in the darkness of our lives, in the, the shame and the doubt and the despair and all of our sin and every part of our life. Jesus Christ is our light, the one who enlightens our path back to the Father. He's the light that shines when all other lights have gone out. Yet if you think about that, a light is of no use if it's kept to oneself. The light that's given to us must be shared. To light a light and to hide it under a bushel basket is silly. It's no use even to the one that has it. To live in the light of Christ means that we share that with others as well. You can't both use a flashlight and hide it at the same time. If we're truly trying to living to follow Jesus, who is our light, then we cannot help but share Him. Now this is where the rub is, though, when it comes to being salt and light. Both of those things are both heartening and challenging. Because to be salt and light involves becoming like Jesus, who is the salt who enriches us and the light of the world. We're salt and light only because we've been enriched and enlightened by Him. We savor the wisdom of the Lord not by any merit of our own, but by God's gracious gift, one for us through His passion and death on the cross and communicated to us in the sacraments, especially of baptism and confession and in the Most Holy Eucharist. But we have to be willing to share that in order to be light and salt. See, you know, a great example of this is St. Paul. After St. Paul's radical conversion to Christ on the road to Damascus, he became quite arguably the most prolific evangelist 
the best sharer of the good news of Jesus the world has ever known. And what was his secret? It's what we heard in the, the uh, second reading today from 1 Corinthians. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. He was, Paul was salt and light for the world because of his single-minded devotion to proclaiming Jesus. Rhetoric helped him. He was a beautiful speaker. Marketing, he, he aided him, right? Like he was a tent maker and he could use that trade in, in many different ways. Strategy was necessary. Like you can look at the, the letters of St. Paul and kind of see him strategizing for how to evangelize. But all of it would have fallen flat if he had not been preaching Christ and him crucified. The same is true for you and I, brothers and sisters. Why is that? Because Jesus himself, as St. John Paul II put it, is the answer to the question posed by every human life. He's the truth that every heart seeks, the way to the truth, and the life for which we long as human beings. We believe as Christians that the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ reveal the true meaning of existence. That's a massive statement right there. We believe that His death and resurrection reveal the true meaning of human existence. And in that, we get to be salt and light. We bring the true meaning out for people to see and to share in. And because we've first experienced and met Jesus, we're eager to share Him with others. How do you do that? How do you preach Christ and Him crucified to the world? That's the challenging question that the readings we have today give us for reflection. It's like an examination of conscience even. Are we doing that? Are we preaching Christ and Him crucified to the world? And the examination of conscience is challenging Because for our testimony to be authentic, for us to truly be salt and light for the world, it means becoming like Him. Becoming like Jesus and participating in His own sacrifice. See, St. Paul did this to the point of saying later on in one of his later letters, I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live but rather Christ who lives in me. So must we be able to say if we wish to share Jesus with others.